0: When He was on the cross, I was on His mind. Amen. I hope that I, that you can have that promise in your own heart, in your own life, and feel as though that it was directed to you. Who am I that God would give me a second thought? A first thought, much less a second. Amen. That He would send His Son to give up heaven and put on flesh, go to the cross, shed His blood, and die for a wretch like me. It's beyond my comprehension. I, I don't understand that. All I can do is say thank you. Amen. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for being willing to do that for a wretch like me. For being willing to, to die. Come on in, Holy Spirit. That's uh, That just snatched that door open, didn't it? You okay, brother? I think I saw you almost break and run there. (laughs) Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 21 and, uh, and go all the way through the end of the chapter. What I want to talk to you about this morning for the remainder of our time is the Bride of Christ. Now we understand that the bride of Christ is the church. And uh, there's a comparison being made here uh, between uh, the bride of Christ and the bride of man. Human beings that put their faith and their trust in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and uh, they bend the knee and bow the head and receive Him as their Lord. Of course, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live on the inside of them. Old things pass away, all things are new. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart. But it's more than just that. You actually become literally the bride of Christ. And he becomes the groom. And there's a picture that's being drawn here in these scriptures that, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder whether the intent of Paul when he wrote this or literally the intent of God when he, he wrote it through the Apostle Paul, was he giving a description of the marriage between man and woman by giving a picture of the bride of Christ? Or was he drawing a picture of the bride of Christ by giving a description of the marriage between man and woman? And I'm just saying yes to both of those. I think that there is uh, equal opportunity For us to learn not only about the church as the bride of Christ, but also... Uh, And by the way, when I say the bride of Christ, I'm not talking about just you ladies, all right? I'm talking about all of us, men, women, boys, and girls who have bent the knee and bowed the head and surrendered our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. We all make up the body of Christ. We all make up the bride of Christ. So the verses that we're going to be reading about is not just directed at women only as the bride of Christ. The way it is speaking of women only when it's talking about the brides of men. Now we're going to be talking about you husbands and you wives, and that is the uh, wedding ceremony and the bridal ceremony between men and women. And there is some variations, there's some differences between, no matter what kind of uh, conclusions you draw when you're talking about the bride of Christ and Christ himself, as opposed to the bride of man and the groom, you're going to have some differences there. But I think overall, you're going to get the picture of what we're talking about. Of course, we remember in Hosea, and I want to read you these verses in Hosea chapter 3. <clears throat> before we get into uh, the Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. And In uh, Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go, love a woman, loved of her friends, and yet an adulteress. According to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her. I purchased her. Do you understand? Do you realize that we as the bride of Christ have been purchased? We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ that God sent his son, his only son. Jesus Christ into the world to shed his blood and to die, to purchase back from the slave block of sin, his people, a people unto himself. And that people, the Bible says that he lays down his life for the church, for the sheep. Now in verse two, again, it says, so I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer and a half of barley. And verse three says, and I said unto her, thou shalt abide with me or for me many days thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not be for another man so will i be also for thee now when god calls us god purchases us us And sets us apart. Sanctifies us. I am the Lord thy God which do sanctify you. I set you apart for my glory and my honor. I wed myself to thee. Therefore, sanctify yourselves. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. I'll be unto you a groom and you'll be unto me a bride. I'll be unto you a God and you'll be unto me a people. But we were purchased out of the world, out of the slave block of sin, and into the family of God to become the bride of Christ. And just like in Homer, uh, uh, Gomer and and Hosea, we, we realize that God tells Hosea to go out and to find him a wife of whoredoms. Now, I'm sure that Gomer was surprised to hear what it was that God expected from him. Uh, He wasn't expecting to have a bride at all. And now he's commanded by God to not only to get married, but to get married to a woman that was going to be unfaithful to him. And that she was going to take every opportunity that she could to be unfaithful to him and to do what it is that were the desires of her own heart rather than the desires of her husband's heart. And what God is doing in the whole book of Hosea is drawing a picture of the nation of Israel. And as I was studying for this and thinking about it, I was saying, yeah, but that's that's not the church. And then I said, well, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the church is the ecclesia, and the ecclesia are the called out ones. The called out ones are the ones that he shed his blood and purchased that he bought unto himself. And even the Old Testament saints were purchased by the blood of Christ. And certainly the nation of Israel at that time in the book of Hosea was pictured as the bride of God, the unfaithful bride of God. And then I started gluing that together with, wow, how unfaithful we as the bride of Christ in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament bride of God, the nation of Israel, and now the New Testament bride of Christ. And by the way, they are both God. And the similarities that there are between those things. And how God has drawn a picture, not only of the Old Testament bride and the New Testament bride of God, the living God, God Jehovah and God the Christ, the son of the living God. And now he's drawing a picture of of that with marriage between a man and a woman. So if you've gone back to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 21, and it reads like this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, I started to read all the way from chapter 5, verse 1, and just read through verse 21, because there's so much that uh, God has commanded us as the bride, us as the church, us as his people, how we are supposed to live our lives without fornication, without filthiness, without whoredoms and whoremongers, and all of these things that are in verses 3 and verse 5 and verse 6, and all of the uh, provisions that God had made for us up prior to verse 21. But ultimately, it all comes down to this, this submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, I see... Stickers on the back of trucks and windows and stuff down here in the south all the time, you know. The the uh, the, the cowboys and rednecks running around here saying, "I ain't scared of nothing," and and uh, you know, no no fear. No, there there's gonna be fear, my friend, one day for us when we stand before a holy and righteous God and give an account of our lives. Ain't scared? Well, you might not be now, but one day you'll be shaking in your boots. Uh, wondering whether you know we have made it through or not, but again, in verse five and twenty-one, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, and then in verse twenty-two, it gives that analogy of the family, uh, that analogy of uh, the church, the bride of Christ and the bride of man, wife. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. As unto the Lord. Now we understand that there is a God in heaven. There is a little G God of the world. You know exactly where I'm already going. Don't you? That we as the bride of Christ. Are wed to our Savior. Our groom. Jesus Christ. And if you take this analogy. Between the spiritual relationship of the church. To the Lord. And to the wife's relationship to the husband. Then this is saying. Wives, submit yourselves not to just any old husband, but to your own husband. And sometimes we as church members don't submit ourselves to the lordship, the headship of Jesus Christ, but we allow the God of this world to lead us around in whoredoms the way that Gomer did with her husband Hosea. Then in verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Now, I know that there are people, this is very controversial, especially in the day that we live in that was for them back then that was a different time a different race a different group a different everything they were even under a different religion at the time they were uh, still practicing judaism and all of these things christianity was just getting rooted they didn't understand the things that we understand in our lives and is in our churches today but i'm telling you he is the same god yesterday today and forever and the picture that he painted between Christ and the church. And by using the analogy of the husband and the wife in the scriptures has not changed. And when you talk about women and we're living in a, in a women's lib generation. I know that it started back in the late 50's and went through the 60's and 70's. And all of the things that took place. Women getting their rights on this. May I say that Christianity gave women more freedom more rights in the day that we live than than the women's liberation movement of the 50s and 60s and 70s ever thought about giving them why because again where it says submitting yourselves one to another who is that speaking to well it's speaking to all of us it means that I should submit myself to my wife in certain areas of our relationship, just as she should submit her life to me in every area. Now, I know that you say, well, that don't sound fair. Well, God never said things were fair. God never said things were equal. God says things were the way he said things were. And we submit ourselves to the Lordship Of Jesus Christ. Wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands. As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church. And is the savior of the body. Therefore as the church is in submission. Or subjection to Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands. In everything. And then it says. Husbands love your wives. Even as Christ also loved. The church. And gave himself. For it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word of God. Now we as husbands are called to be the picture of Christ. Wives are called to be the picture of the church. And as God has called wives to be in subjection to their husbands in the reality of marriage in this physical life that we're living. So he has called the church to be in subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of their lives. Now you cannot have us being subjective or under subjection to the Lordship of Christ in every area of our lives and then the lives in the world that we live in say, yeah, but we're we're supposed to be submissive, but we don't really have to be subjection in, in every area of our every detail of our do we? Well I, I would I would say that having the comparison that is laid out on the pages here before us this morning, yes, yes, that is the way that it is supposed to be. You say, well, the way it's supposed to be and the way it is is always going to be different, isn't it? And I say, yeah, amen. But should we go along with that and say, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. It's just the way the world is. We are brought into a different time zone, into a different era in our lives than was at this time. And again, may I say that he is still the same God. And he goes on to say, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So as ladies are supposed to be in subjection and submission to their husbands, their husbands also are supposed to take the advice of their wives and be in submission to them and to take their counsel and to use that to make the final decisions in their marriage. So the church should be in subjection to their groom the head of the church, Jesus Christ, in every area of our lives. Now, that's the small things as well as the large things. I've heard some people say, well, you know, we we uh we we counsel we have our table meetings, me and my husband and and we talk about things and we discuss things, and I give him my ideas and my subjections and uh, uh, suggestions and uh, objections as well and, and uh, then ultimately he makes the decision on what what we 're going to do and and as long as it 's you know these major things that I understand, but when it comes to the minor things it 's really minor it doesn 't matter that much and And uh, certainly, sometimes the husband says that I don't even pay that stuff any attention. I just let her do what she wants to do. And I'm just saying that, really, is that the way that the church is supposed to operate? That it's only the big things that we turn over to God, but the little things we can just make up our minds as to whether we want to do them or whether we don't want to do them or whether they get done or whether they don't get done at all or right? Certainly, that would be called sin. Sin. In the eyes of God, if the church operated that way, may I say that it's also sin if our homes, our families, our Christian homes and families operate under that same auspicence and, and direction of flesh, of Uh, well, this is how I see it, this is what I think, this is what I believe, and certainly we talk to God about all our major decisions. But when we go into the grocery store and we just buying, you know, cans of beans and things like that, we don't we don't really worry about every detail of our lives. My friend, may I say that you can't go wrong with turning over every detail of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Praying always unto the Lord. You say, well, I don't have time to pray about every little decision. Then pray quickly, may I say. As Nehemiah did when he came before Cyrus, I believe it was. And Cyrus says, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? Uh, Your countenance has fallen. And the Bible says that he prayed to the Lord and answered the king. May I say that was a very quick prayer. God help me. And certainly we can do the same thing. Do you understand that it is the acknowledgement of God's lordship over our lives? In every detail that God is pleased with. Not that we come to Him and get out our calculators and break everything down mathematically and want an exact answer from God. What we are doing is surrendering and submitting our lives to the lordship of God by bringing Him into every area of of our lives and us being submissive and in subjection to that lordship. God, whatever you do, whatever can of beans I pick up or whatever I choose, I'm going to see that, that, that that was, that was from you. But Lord, I want you to realize that I believe all of my life is important. You see, that's bringing every aspect. Of our heart, our mind, our lives into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Into submission, into subjection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But then it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it. And not only should the church be in subjection to the Lordship of Jesus. Not only the wives should be in subjection to the Lordship of of the husband in the home because that is the picture that is being drawn. But the opposite is also true. That we as husbands should love our wives, not lording our lordship, not lording our authority that God has given us over the home, over the family as the high priest in the home. Do you realize that it is not your business, husbands and men, to turn over that responsibility to your wife. Well, if it has to do with church, if it has to do with the Bible, if it has to do with religion, I'm just gonna let my wife take the kids and go, and if she goes, they go, and if they don't, they don't, I'm gonna to give to her that that authority and that <coughs> ability to, to do with as she sees. That's not your authority to give to her. That's God's authority, and He's given it to you. And we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. What, what does that mean for us to love our wives as Christ loved? Well, it says in the very next sentence, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. We should give ourselves for her that after God, which is my first priority as a husband, as a man, as a pastor, as a chaplain, as as just a human being, God should be my first order of business in my own heart, in my own mind. But right next unto it should be my responsibility to God as a good steward of the things that He has placed in my possession. And God's the one who placed the man as the head over the woman. I I, I don't know why. She's a lot smarter than we are. I understand that. We're dumber. We're slower. We're a lot of things worse than women. And if I were God, I would have done it different and that's probably why I'm not God. But the truth is, is that God set that up and we don't have the right to shirk our responsibilities as men. Just as the wives do not have the right to shirk their responsibilities of submission and honoring their husbands, following their leadership. But they can't follow something that is not being led. And we as husbands are going to stand before God and give an account not only of, uh, you know, what it says there that verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. We're going to give uh, an answer For that responsibility, Uh, and uh, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body, therefore we as men are going to be held responsible for being the savior of our home and our family. My mother and my father divorced when I was 13 years old. There was a lot of blame to go around. On both parts amen and i I as a grown man at thirteen years old I, I I had no clue I didn't understand what was going on I was broken, I thought it was my fault you know and I didn't have anything to do do with it but looking back now, I realized that, that they were both alcoholics they were both you know, living a, a lifestyle that was ungodly, unchristlike. They were doing things they had no business doing in the world. Come out from among them and be separate. We're supposed to be, uh, uh, to separate ourselves from our fathers and our mothers. And then husband and wife join together and the two become one flesh. And they are supposed to live their lives for the glory and honor of God. And they were doing none of those things. Certainly. The weightier matters rested on my father's shoulders. Why? Because he is going to be held responsible before God for holding the family together, for being the high priest of the wife and of the children and to show them what a Christian man is supposed to be like. To live a life in front of his wife, to live a life in front of his children, his grandchildren, to live a life in front of his co-workers and the people that he's around every day, to live our lives in a way that screams, look at me and I'll show you what God is like. That's the picture that's being drawn here. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. You know what sanctify means? It means to set apart. And I, as the husband, am to set my wife apart, first myself, and then my wife apart, by washing of the word. Of course, me being a pastor, me being a chaplain, Uh, I spend a lot of time in the Word of God. My wife, uh, in Sunday school, was the evidence. She repeats uh, a lot of the things that come out of my heart and out of my mind that I have taught over and over and over and over. How do we learn? By repetition. She's learned by listening to the things that I've said. And I'm thankful and pleased that she goes around repeating the things that I've said, not only in a Sunday school class like this morning, but to our children, to our grandchildren, to our friends, to our family. And that is exactly not the responsibility of the wife, but the responsibility of the husband. To pour himself into his wife that she might be able to do those things. We're going to be held accountable as husbands in the sanctifying and cleansing of our wives. Just as Christ was held responsible. He had the authority, but he also had the responsibility. He had the power given by God. He is God, but he set aside his deity, not his deity, but the power of his deity, uh, the, him working in the power of his own deity. And he lived his life as a man on this earth and dwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. And we have no excuse for not doing what it is that God has called us to do verse 27 says that he might present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish may i say that the church is absolutely holy and without blemish did you know that you say, mm, I've been in a bunch of churches. I've sat in a lot of business meetings. Some of them people ain't real holy. Well, that's the flesh you're talking about. But see, we've been imputed the righteousness of Christ. Those that are truly saved, those that are truly born again, those that are truly indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that came on Christ that He set aside not His deity but the attributes of His deity. And He walked as a man in the power of the Spirit. That same Spirit lives on the inside of the true church. Not everybody that's inside the building is a Christian. Not everybody that's inside the building sitting on a pew is a part of the body of Christ. But those that are you see they have been set apart by the power of god not by the power of the flesh and if i as a pastor i as a a chaplain i as a father i as a husband and being led by the holy spirit of god living on the inside of me then i should be living and leading my wife and my children in such a way that they are sanctified the way christ has sanctified the church oh listen Certainly we are not sinlessly perfect, even us who are born again, that have the power of the Spirit. But thank God that my sin is under the blood of Christ. And then when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood of Christ. He looks through a blood filter and all he can see is the righteousness of Christ in our lives. Wouldn't that be nice for us as husbands to be able to say that we've poured ourselves into the hearts and minds and lives of our wives to where they only see the beauty of the holiness of Christ in their wives' lives rather than their idiosyncrasies and their faults and their failures and their blemishes? You see, I, I know that the wives like to do their hair and wear their jewelry and their makeup and nice clothes and and wore paint and all of the things that they do. But, you know, uh, after church and uh, we go home and at night they let their hair down, they wipe their makeup off and we see, and she sees, amen? It's not like we're wearing our mask all of the time in front of the world the way we do, but in front of our wives and our families, they see who we are. They see us as we really are. Wouldn't it be nice when they took their makeup off, you still saw the glory of God shining in their face, in their eyes. That's our responsibility, not theirs. Ours as the husband of the wife, as Christ sanctified and set apart the church. You look at what it says, verse 27, that he might "...present to himself a glorious church, not having spot, nor wrinkle, nor any such thing, but that he that it should be holy and without blemish. So men ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church." Do you realize what this is saying? About our responsibility as husbands, as high priests of the home and family to our wives and to our children. Certainly the children and the rearing of the children in the home is the responsibility primarily of the wives. But if I'm pouring into my wife's heart and life the things that God has poured into my heart and my life. Then she in turn is going to be pouring that into them. And they're actually going to be being raised by what God has done in my heart. And in my life. And if they're not, then we can't say, well, you didn't take them to, you didn't teach them the. That's our responsibility. Verse 29, for no man ever hated his own flesh. He nourishes it, cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. For we are members of His body, members of His flesh. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, life of his life. 31 says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. That's right. We let go of that. Grab a hold of this. You look with me for just one second in Revelation, it's just a few pages away, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Speaking to the church of Ephesus, now this is the seven churches of Asia Minor. And those seven churches of Asia Minor were literal churches, just like this. Lake St. John Baptist Church is a literal church amongst the churches of Delta Association. We have 14 churches of Delta Association. This association has seven churches of Asia Minor, and the Church of Ephesus is one of the churches. And it says... Under the church of the, uh, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, the angel is the pastor of the messenger. And in verse, uh, again, verse four, it says, nevertheless, he, he pats them on the back, tells them how good a job they were doing. And then in verse four, he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick. Out of his place, except thou repent. Now that, that's important. Because what God is telling this church is that you're doing a good job. But one thing I have against you is that you don't love me the way you loved me when you started loving me. And unless you repent and turn away from that lack of loving me the way you loved me when you first started loving me. Boy, that speaks volumes to us as husbands and wives, doesn't it? A year goes by. Five years go by. Ten, twenty, thirty years go by. Things don't exactly fit the same as they used to fit, look the same as they used to look, feel the same as they used to feel. The abilities and the prowess that we used to have, we don't have anymore. We've grown accustomed to each other and our love for one another starts fading and lacking, falling between the cracks and crevices and wrinkles. And we wonder why. And it's because we don't stir it up. Because we don't put forth the effort that it takes. May I say the same thing happens to the church. The bride of Christ. We, we've been church members for so long. We've been part of the bride for so long. We, we loved God when we started. When God reached into our heart, illuminated our minds and drew us, it was the romance. It was, it was the dating. It was the, you know, the romance that we had. The honeymoon experience. Of Christianity. And then within the first five years. That honeymoon started being just a faint memory. In the rearview mirror. And we got farther and farther and farther and farther away. And more out of love. And more in love with the things of the flesh. And the things that we used to love. And now all of a sudden we're a mixture. Between spiritual and flesh. Heaven and hell. Holiness. and Sinfulness. God says, you're still my child. I still love you. But I have somewhat against you because you don't love me the way you used to love me. You're not as faithful to me as you used to be. And unless you repent and, and do the first works, do the first love, show the love. It's not just feeling the love, but it's showing the love, living the life that God has called us to live that He's interested in. If you don't repent, I'll take your candle out Of its place. What is that candle? Well that's the light. You see this church is a light to the community. How dark has that light faded? How much have we failed? in what it is that God has called us to do. As a church. As the bride of Christ. When we don't love him the way that we used to love him anymore. It goes on to say. In the end of. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30 reads like this for we are members of his body of his flesh of his bone for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and they too shall be one flesh this is a great mystery. But I speak not concerning the husband and the wife, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, even though I'm really speaking about the church and about Christ, the bride and the groom, I still don't want you to miss the point of the physical. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as he loves himself. And see that the wife reverence. You know what that word reverence means? You could boil it down to just a one word translation. Respect. Certainly it says in some of those earlier verses that we read. Wives submit yourselves. And obey, and all of the, you know, the, even the marriage vows are taking that out these days. I am obeying him. Get that out of there. <laughs> we're, not, we're not making that commitment. Not in this day and time. But where it says for the wife to reverence her husband, that means to respect him. And I, I know, wives, I hear some of you thinking, well, you know, he needs to, you, you, you don't just deserve respect, you earn it. In a lot of ways, we as husbands have lost our respect because we quit earning it. We quit doing what it takes to be respected. And may I say that it's hard. Once you've lost that, to gain that back. It's, it's kind of like when, when I first dove off of the boat into the sea of, of the gospel of Christ and Christianity and I started going down and, and get deeper and deeper and deeper in the Word of God and studying it and hiding it in my heart and growing closer and closer to Christ and the closer you grow to grow to Christ, the deeper you go into the, the oceans and the depths of God doctrine and the teachings of the word of god you get closer to his holiness and your sinfulness almost wants to peel your flesh off and you're sucking you're begging you're dying for just a breath of air and all of a sudden you push off and you go back to the top just to catch a breath of air because your sinfulness can't stand his holiness anymore and then you realize That you're not where you used to be. You want it again. You want to go down deep. You want to go deeper. But now when it was Christ taking you deeper and deeper and closer and closer. All of a sudden now because you pushed away from that. You've got to put forth the effort to make it back. And it's not easy. The flesh has grown strong. We've lost our first love. We're not as dedicated and committed as we were when we first fell in love with Christ. But that doesn't mean that just because it's hard, that it's impossible. And just because it's hard doesn't give us an excuse to quit trying. The same's true with our marriages. Here in the South, the divorce rate, Bible Belt. 51%, where the rest of the United States is 50%. 50 50, you're going to make it. Not in the South, not in the Bible Belt. 51, you're not. 49, you will. Isn't that weird? Isn't that strange? How can that be? I don't know. But it is. My friend, just because everybody's doing it doesn't give us the right to do it. Amen. We, as the children of God, we, as the bride of Christ, We as the men, the high priest of our home and our family, we need to make a determination in our own hearts and our own minds that we are not going to reshirk our responsibility and pass that off to anybody else. That I'm going to stand up and be the man that God has called me to be. I'm going to be the husband that God has called me to be. The father, the grandfather, the pastor, the minister, just the man that God wants me to be. And that's all I can do. I can't fix you. I can stand here behind this pulpit, preach this sermon over and over and over and over, but it's only the Holy Spirit of God that can take it from your ears to your heart, change you from who you are to who He wants to be. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your love and your mercy, God. We thank You for the relationship that we as Christians have to Christ. We as the church, the bride of Christ, the saved ones, members of Your body, members of Your flesh, members of Your bone. Help us, God, to be in submission to Your will and to Your way. To realize, God, that we are to reverence You. Not to put our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own choices above Your commandments and Your Word and Your will. But God, that we might be the people that You've called us. No, the people that You've commanded us to be. And God, will give You the praise for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.